Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. A lot of people judge CAM based on these little, and I think it's true of anybody in society, but especially for him, I never met a guy who could piss so many people off just by smiling. <laughs> just by smiling. And that says a lot about people. Episode 18 of the Helipod is upon us. And this is actually the first one where I'm talking to somebody that I don't know, that I don't have a previous uh, working relationship with or have covered them or at least know them a little bit. Um, it is the former center of the Carolina Panthers, Ryan Khalil, a five-time Pro Bowler, uh, three-time All-Pro, 13 years in the NFL, played last year with the New York Jets. Uh, just some unbelievable stories. This guy, he's a, a movie producer. He's produced and directed commercials, uh, an incredibly long career in the National Football League, really great storyteller, uh, very thoughtful guy. Totally enjoyed my sit-down with Ryan Khalil, and hopefully you will too. But first, let me tell you about our presenting sponsor who makes this all possible, Viore. And if you haven't listened before to the Helipod, I'm a huge fan of Viore. This is uh, athleisure wear with an edge. That's what one of my buddies said one time, and I said, you know what? That sounds pretty good. Uh, they have great shorts. They have great shirts. They have incredible joggers, hoodies, long sleeve shirts. Uh, they really have it all. If you go to vioriclothing.com, that's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash helipod, you get 20% off. It's great gear. I've been wearing it for a couple of years now, long before I was involved with them. vioriclothing.com slash helipod, door slamming at my house, my dog's winding over here. But this is where we had to shoot it today, the helipod at the helipad presented by Viore. Let's go. Well, the cool thing about this podcast is that uh, Ryan Khalil had to drive how far? A mile, two miles not, to not, get here? Not real far. It's a small town here. We, uh, we had to make a little adjustment on the site here. So the, uh, the helipod is from the helipad today. So I appreciate you coming over. It's a nice pad. Too. Uh, well, I appreciate it's, it. I appreciate it. It's a nice it. pad. You're doing well, Dan. Not, not nice. as nice it's as the nice one pad. that you've been building at, for seemingly <laughs> a decade now. All right. So what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, uh, it's so funny. I've, I've been, I've heard that you're moving somewhere in the, in the, this other section of town and, uh, the house is still going on. So, um, this is obviously the craziest year that I can remember in forever. And you are not in training camp right now. You're not with a team right now. And 
I'm wondering if you miss it at all. Like, is there is there a time you like? It's it's okay not to be someplace right now. I mean, maybe this uh, this might be the best time to have that transition because I just in talking with my buddies who are around the league on different teams now, um, it, it's still these guys are still trying to figure it out. I mean, guys are are. Uh, pretty stressed. Uh, you know, there's a short period of time here before the season is going to start that they, a lot of them don't feel ready uh, more mentally than anything. Um, but it's, it's nuts. One of the, one of my buddies I was talking to, he said, uh, you know, training camp's a time you get to know guys, you get to kind of get a feel for personality. And then obviously the bonding part of it, he said, it's kind of hard when you're walking around and everybody looks the same wearing a mask. He's like, I don't even know who anybody is. We rarely get to talk to anybody, um, so that's that's got to be tough. I, I can't imagine that because that I mean that's as 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 cheesy as it sounds sometimes uh, about the you know the bond and training camp and bleeding and sweating together. I mean that I, it's it's true. It's a big part of the process. It's a big part of building a team, um, and so not being able to do that uh, in the off season in spring, let alone not even in training camp. Uh, I can't imagine how tough that would be. So I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about the fact the entire off season has been virtual and then you get in the building and you're going to have these rookies and free agents to sign with the team and everybody's wearing masks. That is a weird time. In addition to when you were in Carolina, you guys went to Spartanburg every year. So yeah. you really did get a bond. Yeah. You, I mean, it, it's a silo away from all the distractions. So I just... This is probably the biggest attraction a lot of these guys will will ever have in in their entire career. But I just can't imagine. I mean, things are hard enough when everything's going right. So to to have uh, training camp and off season during a pandemic, trying to especially for the guys that are in new places or the guys that have new coaching staffs, um, it, it's got to be real challenging. And um, and I think the hardest part is is right now all of it's pretty fluid. Like when I talk to some of my buddies around the league, um, they all have a different story. Every protocol is a little bit different. Um, protocols are changing constantly, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst. You know, everybody's trying to do the right thing, but at the same time, they're also their livelihoods depend on this production-based business. <laughs> and, right. And guys are vying for jobs and 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 trying to build a, a championship program. So um, it's just, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I can feel the stress just from being on the phone with these guys, let alone being there in that environment. And uh, it's gotta be tough. Well, you talk about the rules evolving and, and being edited constantly. And I just read an article today about players opting out and basically how it would behoove guys with guaranteed salaries this year to opt out and push that to next season. And I wonder how, I would think everybody wants, wants to play, right? Do you want to, you want to get paid? You want to play, you want to do your job. Um, but beyond the, the health aspect of it, some of them would actually, if the season gets canceled halfway through, you only get 50% of your salary this year that you may not, may or may not get back down the road. Um, so for some guys, it's actually advantageous to to sit out this year and push it out till next year. There's so many just little caveats with these with these rules. Yeah, I guess it just depends. I think every individual is different. I think it depends on what point of your career you're in. If you're sort of on the back nine, I don't know how advantageous that is for sure. you. You know, it depends on how your contract's structured. 
Um, I think there's also, uh, I think there's a, there's a, uh, a psyche part of this that, uh, that I don't think guys are thinking about, about how that might, um, uh, you know, how that might relay with, with front offices next year. I think, I think front offices are going to remember those that sort of decided to, to stick That's it out with their team thing. And, and guys that decided to pack it on in and let me know when it's easier. So I don't know how much of that will go on, but I got to imagine it'll be a case-by-case basis. You know, you get a guy who it's easy to kind of dump the money and, and oh, by the way, he decided to call it in when everybody else decided to stick it out. Um, and he wasn't somebody who, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? I don't, I'm not, I'm not taking a position on any one of those guys because there's so much unknown and there's so much fear in all this stuff. Sure. Like it's, it's hard to have that justification to, to feel that way about somebody. But I know there, there will be somebody who feels that way. Well, that's the, the reality. We've yeah. seen this in college, right? It's happened right. at Colorado state. Like mm-hmm. players have already said that they feel like they've been intimidated uh, into practicing mm-hmm. and playing. So uh, I'm sure that happened on the NFL level as well. You played 13 years so far, 12 in Carolina, 2018 was going to be your last year. You'd had a couple of injury-plagued years, and then and, and then you come back with the Jets. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Week Eight that you went on IR mm-hmm. last year. Are you glad that you that you did that year in New York? Would you have changed anything? Yeah. I mean, look. You know, every player goes through this. Um, I got to do more than most guys get to in, in any given career. And, and so I'm so grateful and so fortunate for that. I think for me, it was, I had sort of in my head when I got to the end, it would be easy and I wouldn't be like these other guys that struggle with it. And I ended up being just like everybody else. Um, and I think the longer you play, especially and be as lucky as I was to be on the same team for as long as I was, um, you know, you, for most guys I played with, the, the, the norm is you're sort of a journeyman. You sort of go from team to team. Very rarely guys get to stay in one place for a long time. So for me to be one of those core guys, I was so grateful for that. And those guys that travel from team to team, I mean, they really, it, it becomes a business for them. And uh, they sort of kind of have a mercenary mindset. There's no loyalty to the, the colors or the logos. And so I was in a fortunate position where I got to play as long as I did and, and you just sort of end up caring more and more each year. It becomes more uh, important to you and, and uh, you become more loyal. It, it almost, there's, a, there's that aspect of college you miss that you get when you get to sort of play that long uh, on one team. And so, um, and so early on, I sort of set up in my head that, you know, well, one, I never thought I was going to play as long as I did. So I think early on, I, I, I sort of had this like playing with the house money kind of mentality. And, uh, and anything on top of that would be gravy. So I set myself up that once I was done playing, it would be easy to move on. And then obviously, as I played longer, that plan got harder and harder. We got more ingrained in the community. You know, have, you have your kids are born there. In Carolina. In Carolina. So... That just got tough. And then when, when I finally got done, I finished up my contract. I said, oh, what that, that'll, you know, I didn't get the fairy tale ending. Not very many guys get to. Um, but uh, but I, just, I just had this itch that I just didn't want to be done. And I started getting that fear that once that window was closed, that's it. It's closed forever. It's not something you can go back to. 
it's not really anything that transitions into another profession, you know, as far as like the physical aspect of it and, and the experience of pulling or blocking down <laughs> on a three technique, you know what I mean? So there was nothing like, there's no, when you, when you say the fairy tale ending though, you mean winning the Super Bowl and walking? Yeah, the like the, I guess like, like Peyton, Peyton did. Like Peyton did. Which, funny enough, I got to talk to Peyton, and and you see a guy who got to do the mic drop, and still look like he can't let it go. Yeah. And other guys, I got to talk to Troy Aikman about it, who who uh, you know also a lot of people think he he left early. Um. And these guys still miss it. And so I think the thing I've been able to do now is, is get over that feeling of I'm always going to miss it because I think everybody goes through that and it doesn't matter how you sort of finish it. Um, I think maybe part of that was I was tying it to some kind of finish that I had in my head that it just was too hard to obtain. You know what I mean? There's too many variables as far as like winning the ring and, and, doing, the, and doing the walk off that way. But so the Jets opportunity, I mean, I sincerely thought there was an opportunity there where they had a good team and it'd be fun to be a part of that building process. Um, Did you, know, you have any connection to Douglas or Adam Gase? Or? No, no, I knew Sam. I knew Sam from USC. Sure. Um, so he and I talked a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I, knew, I knew a couple guys that had played there. Um, Mangold was a guy that I watched a long time who, you know, he was, a he's a, he's a huge part of that organization. Yet, interestingly enough, after you announced your retirement, you almost felt like you had to get the blessing from a couple of former teammates <laughs> and, and Ron Rivera because you're like, Hey, I was going to retire, but I'm going to play again. But you didn't call Mangold cause you thought he was going to Ric Flair you. I don't What does that mean? Yeah, I, well, I just had so much respect for Nick. Right. And that was kind of, that was his. Carolina Panthers, you know. Sure, he's there for long. So time. I just was, I was like, oh, I think it'd be the right thing to do. And then I got worried. Well, what if he tells me no? That's just going to be weird, and that might weigh in on my decision. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, we're just not going to say anything to Nick and just see how it goes. But he was great. I mean, he was awesome. And I didn't get the off season I would have liked to have had. You know, had I gone back, I probably would have made the decision sooner, just so that I could have gotten the program. What was the time frame there? Remind me. I came in like I came in like halfway through training camp. And then, like, the week I signed, they were getting ready for preseason one. Oh, wow. So I still, like, I was working out and training. I had about a couple months where I stayed in shape just in case. And then, um, but, you know, it's, it's a different kind of stay in shape. It's yeah. different than running around and... and Riding uh, the Peloton doesn't do it for, no, you know, it for does. the NFL. It doesn't. <laughs> running on the sand dunes is not the same as, uh, as uh, double days. But... Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, I don't regret it. I mean, it didn't work out the way I hoped or the way the organization hoped for sure. Um, but I got to meet some great guys there. And, and, uh, and I genuinely think they, they have, they have a, uh, they have a talented group. Um, just see how much, uh, they can sort of start to mesh together and, and really kind of all play all phases together. You're a really smart guy. So I'm not asking you this question to, to say anything negative, but I'm asking this question to try to get some insight into, into Adam Gase, okay. who, who I know a little bit. Okay. Um, why does, why does he get so much? I, I don't know if it's a raw deal. I don't know if it's bad press, but you just hear over and over that he doesn't relate well to the, to some of the players. He doesn't communicate well with some of the players. Why do you think that is? It's just a different, 
it's a different leadership style than I think some guys are used to. I also think he comes from more of an old school kind of mentality. I mean, his father-in-law is, is an amazing, amazing human being, amazing coach. Um, uh, and he sort of, he sort of, I, I think he sort of, uh, gravitates towards that to kind of, kind of style. Yeah. I think it's tougher in today's age. I think the players are different. I think the kids coming out of college are different. Um, I don't think they're any less tougher than the guys that I play. Like, I don't want to do this. Uh, I hated that when I came in the league. Of like the, yeah. it's not, it's not how it used to be and all that stuff. It's just different. It's not better. It's not worse. It's a different, it's a different kind of, um, uh, mental toughness, I guess. I don't know what the right phrase would be, but it's, it's, uh, um, it's not that these guys aren't mentally tough. It's just that they don't have the same callus as guys the older players have or the older coaches are used to in older players that, that sort of, it, it's more direct. It's more, it's less sort of, uh, it's less sort of trying to figure out personalities and what's the best way in. And it's a one size kind of fits all. And I don't think that always meshes well with guys. And I think guys take it personal. I had a great coach and John Matsko, uh, who's my O-line coach for mm-hmm. years in Carolina and coached for a long time. And, and still he's in, uh, he's in Washington with very with coach well Rivera. respected. Yeah. Very well respected. Um, but he always had a saying for guys that took it too personal. He always had a saying that we don't attack people. We attack problems. And I always love that. I always love that. And, and the moment a guy heard that, the moment they could sort of kind of get over the fact that they felt like it was a, more of a personal attack. And uh, a lot of that kind of style of coaching, too, comes in, in the form of, I mean, Adam is, uh, I mean, he's like a he's like a offensive savant. He's like a million miles an hour. He's, he's kind of like 10 steps ahead of everybody. He's not always in the moment. So, um, uh I think the, some of his bluntness comes from the fact that we got to go. We, we don't have too much time. Right. Uh, and that was the case for a lot of situations last year. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel bad. We, I had a good thing with him. It didn't work out. Uh, I know he was frustrated about it. I was frustrated about it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so I think the bad rap comes from the fact that somebody who doesn't like his leadership style they just, in today's age, they just, it's, they're quick. People are quick to turn on you. And, yeah. and so, and it's hard, especially in that town. It's hard to keep the ship together. Um, so many eyeballs in New York City. So many eyeballs in New York City. Um, you know, the thing I would say about the Jets that I think they were, and I told this to Joe Douglas that I think they could benefit from is having more older guys, guys that have been around a while, guys that have sort of the calluses to be able to weather the, the, the harder times and help guys kind of stay the course because um, there's a lot of young guys on that team last year, a lot. And I, I was the oldest guy, which is not, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, and that was the first time ever in my career that that was the case. But I just feel like at, at, at 34 last year, yeah, 34. Wow. Um, so I think if you could have, if you could have a handful of, of older guys that have been through the ups and downs of the league and can be in there and can help guys weather the storm and stay the course. And cause that's the worst thing for a team is when things aren't going well, you get little pockets, especially younger guys. And they, they talk themselves out of, out of things and they, it's easy to start saying, you know, forget this guy, forget that guy. So that's, that's the hardest part. I want to 
tell you a story that uh, David Carr told me. I didn't even realize. I next, forgot, qu- next question. I had forgotten that you guys played together in Carolina, and he was there when you got there your first year. And David and I, of course, uh, have worked together for many years at NFL Network. And when he found out I lived in uh, Manhattan Beach, told me you were building a house here. You know, this is probably like seven, eight years ago, you know, when you started. Um, but he told me a story how he came down and, and uh, in Manhattan Beach, the, the front row that's kind of like on the water is the Strand. And um, he was meeting you uh, on, the, on the Strand and um, you had mentioned to him that you were going to go rollerblading. And David's like, you know, big, strong, cool quarterback from Bakersfield. He's not going rollerblading, you know, on the strand. So he said, just the story may be a little wrong, but this is how I remember it. Right. So he's, he's sitting in, you know, the living room or whatever, right off the strand, just waiting to, he's trying to really debate. It's like an inner struggle whether he actually wanted to go rollerblading. And then he says, the back door opens, in comes Blake Griffin on rollerblades. And he's like, well, crap, I, 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 Blake's here on rollerblades. I guess I got to go rollerblading now. Do you, do you remember that story? Is that semi-accurate? I, I don't remember the part where he was so cool to not go rollerblading <laughs> that he had to wait for Blake Griffin to come out. But yes, we did go rollerblading. That, that might have been yeah. a little David Carr add-on. Yeah, there. that's fine. That's fine. Why he has to be so proud? He's from Bakersfield. That's I mean, I mean, come like on, a... it's not Corona. No, it's, it's definitely not Corona. Um, you and Blake have a have a a production company mm-hmm. together called called Mortal Media. Mm-hmm. So Mortal Media with Blake, you guys have projects in the works, stuff. That yeah, you're we on? do. Yeah, Blake and I, we've been friends a long time, and uh, uh, we, you know, funny enough, my my first love has always been uh, animation. I did uh, when I was a kid. I used to do. Um, stop motion animation. It was like a huge passion of mine. I think my dad looked at me a little funny that that was something I That's just taking a bunch of. of pictures and Yeah, it's like uh yeah, you have like a character that you can kind of move frame by frame right. and and uh yeah, so I I was super into that stuff and and um uh that was my first foray into uh uh into storytelling, I guess. Um, and then I got to do a little bit of school at SC and cinematic arts. And then, um, that was sort of like what I wanted to do after SC was get into film and television somehow, some way. When I was at SC, I got there at the right time. SC was not a great school. I was only a three-star recruit and I got there right before we, we, we made that run. I think when SC recruited me, they just lost to Utah in the Las Vegas bowl. Mm. And, um, uh, I went to like a million SC camps. I wanted to go to SC because of the film school. My dad had convinced me he could help me out. He, he was a longtime football coach and he coached a lot of guys, helped a lot of guys get into, uh, get into college, uh, on scholarship. He was at Centennial high school in Corona. Okay. Um, powerhouse, powerhouse, yeah. powerhouse. You know, my pops played a little bit. He, uh, he got drafted. He played at Arkansas, University of Arkansas. Uh, Lou Holtz was his coach at Arkansas. At Arkansas, and then he left to Arizona. And then he left to Arizona, but uh, small world. He he was there. Uh, he was. Uh, he said he was basically Dan Dan Hampton's gopher boy. Like he had to like <laughs> whatever Dan Hampton needed, he had to go do. Um, but Lou Holtz was there doing all his uh, same magic tricks that he did way years later at Notre Dame and in South Carolina. And funny enough, Pete Carroll was a GA there. 
At Arkansas? At Arkansas. Monty Kiffin was the defensive coordinator. Oh, I love Monty. And then Pat Golden Rule, who was my uh, who was my O line coach at SC, he was also there. So a small world. Then my dad went to Arizona. Uh, he got drafted by the Bills when they uh, I think like in the twelfth round when they had a ton of rounds. Uh, he was there for a couple years as a backup, and then he ended up going to the USFL. He played for the played for a couple years. Played for the Wranglers, and he played for the Houston Gamblers. He snapped to Jim Kelly. Which was cool. I, I met Jim Kelly when I was a kid, and then uh, I got to meet him again at the Super Bowl, at Super Bowl 50, which was awesome. My dad known some of those guys at, the, at SC just from the Arkansas days. Um, it helped us get in the door of the, of the they had these uh, training camps there, and I got invited to like five of them. And every time I got invited... Like summer camps or high school camps. Like summer camps for high school. And every time I got invited to one, uh, they, there was like a little bit better talent there that they would put me up against. And so I was going against some pretty, uh, pretty uh, talented defensive tackles. And it was mostly, you know, the stuff that kind of everybody gets around is the, the one-on-one drills. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more rules now, but in those days there, were, there, was, no, <laughs> there was no rules. No holds barred. It, it, I had my Mono shirt ripped up. Yeah, but I was bloody nose. But I was fighting for that scholarship, man. I wanted to go there bad. Um, they weren't quite convinced, uh, just because I, I was sort of a smaller, uh, how, what's, how much you weigh? I was playing tackle in high school Okay. and I was probably like 260, maybe 265. And so they were like, look, we, we don't, we don't think you can play tackle at the collegiate level, but we need a center. We think you can play center. Have you ever snapped before? I was like, no, but I'll learn. My dad played. So that was easy transition as far as having somebody to help me. And then, um, uh, they asked me to come back to another camp, and my dad said, no, he's not coming back anymore. That's oh, really? It. Yeah. So that's it. He's already come to five. You either like him or you don't. And the guys who were fighting for me were Ed Ogeron and, and Kennedy Pola, who's now – he changed his name to Paul Malu. That's Troy's uh, uncle. He was a right. running backs coach at SC. Um, and, uh, and so I got invited up to the office, and, and they offered me a scholarship. And so we, we – I got there right uh, – when when SC was, it was the most incredible time in in, uh, in history to be at USC. So I I committed. Uh, Carson had that great year, won the Heisman, and then the next year uh, it was between Matt Castle and Matt Leinart for starting quarterback. Matt Leinart won the job, um, and then I was a backup. That was my rookie year or my freshman year. I was a backup, uh, and uh, we ended up. Uh, tie-in national championship with LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, Your first year. My first year. That was 03. I that mean. was 03. And then 04 was my first year starting, and then we went on that great run uh, where we went to beat Oklahoma in the national championship game in the Orange Bowl. 34-game uh, winning streak. Yeah. And then, and then the next year we had that other great run, that great Notre Dame game, all those classics, and then we lost to uh, Vince Young and the, the Longhorns. I finished my career there, pretty incredible career for any one of those Amazing. seasons for any guy. But when we were winning a bunch, obviously SC being in the heart of Hollywood and, and having the, the incredible alum that they did, I was always uh, I was always beeline to every one of those guys in the locker room. Guys like nobody even knew. And and um, uh, and so that's what I was trying to do. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. So you were literally networking while you were in school. I was with guys to come into the locker room as fanboying, you know, Reggie and Matt. And well, yeah, I just, 
I there, listen. We had we we had a really talented team for obviously, right. um, a, a ton of all Americans, uh, guys who I thought were game changing players, who either uh, would get drafted and not be on a team after one season or not get drafted at all. And these were guys that I thought were way better players than me. So I thought to myself, well, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I should waste my time with this. Cause this is just, this is not going to happen for me. When you say waste time, you mean waste time even thinking about it or well, waste just time like training, training, to... going right. like getting into a camp, you know, right. maybe staying on the roster, maybe not getting cut. I just, I saw too many guys that I just, it just looked too, it looked too challenging for, uh, for a guy that I thought was a shoe in as far as like a guy who was going to play a long time in the league. Right. Uh, let alone a guy who, I mean, I, I, I felt like, uh, I had all these other ambitions. I had all these other things I was interested in. Why waste time on something that I didn't really feel strongly about as, as sort of this other passion that I had since I was a kid. And so, um, the only one that was kind of kicking me in the butt was my pops. But I was like, well, yeah, you're my dad. You're supposed to say that. Right. You're supposed to say, and I this is while it. you're in college. This is my last year. Okay. It's my last year. And also too, I had talked, I won't name, I won't name who, but I talked to a couple coaches that had been in the league who also felt like, I was going to be too undersized to play. Who basically told you this? Look, this is not. This is a tough road to hoe if you choose that path. Yeah, sort of, sort of were uh, kind of agreeing with me. Like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Maybe, maybe you're better off looking at these other things. But that's the great thing about being a Trojan is you got all these avenues, you and all these alum and and right. networking you can do, and um, which they weren't wrong. And I, I sort of put that stuff in motion early on. And uh, funny enough. Uh, I got to be friendly with Henry Winkler, who the offered Fons? the Fonz, who offered me my first job. Who's who is literally the nicest human being I think I've ever met in my whole life. Just a sweetheart Love of a man. It's just the best person ever. And so I think uh, is he a USC alum or is he just a fan? No, he's a USC alum. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. And his son Max, uh, who's a very talented screenwriter and director, uh, was there at the same time as me. So that's how I got to know Henry. Um, and Max is the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, but I, uh, I was so grateful. I still forever am grateful for that. And we always, I always still, anytime I talk to him, I, we always still joke about that. But I think he said he was going to have me like, go help him work on MacGyver. Not a lot of people know that the Fonz was involved with MacGyver. I, I didn't. Yeah. What was his role in that? I think he's a producer. Interesting. Um, uh, so anyways, that was, that was my plan. And that it was wasn't fallback almost. What's that? That was your that was your plan. Plan you're gonna go work on with Henry. I, there was that wasn't the fallback. That, that was, was the plan. It. That, that was, was the, the main plan. plan. Okay. That was the plan, and then um, and then a scout for the Bears came down, and I feel terrible. Uh, I have his name written down, but I it escapes me. Uh, what time I, of year I is forget this? This is uh, this is towards the end of the year. Okay. Like of your, probably of your senior year. Probably like right that month, right before bowl time. Okay. And, uh, he was very complimentary to me and he was asking me where, uh, I was going to train for the combine and all that stuff. And I said, I wasn't. And he like, it like blew his mind. He couldn't understand why that was the case. 
So I gave him my reasons and then he goes, I want to, he goes, I'd really like to talk with you after practice. So I was like, all right. So we went and met in one of the meeting rooms and he gave me this whole history of like great NFL centers and how big they were and how, uh, uh, you know, how much they weighed, how tall they were, how fast they were, what kind of systems they played and how long they played for. And he just said, look, if, if you don't want to pursue this, I get it. But he's like, please don't let that, please don't let this undersized thing that you put in your head be the reason why. Or somebody telling you you can't play because he's like, that's nonsense. So, and then we ended it with him saying, why not go try the thing? He's like, you could always go back and do the other thing. Why not go try this thing that's like a once in a lifetime opportunity? And I was like, that's a good point. That's <laughs> probably true. I probably should have been thinking about that. Uh, before so i i said screw it and then i just uh you know i didn't go train at a fancy place i just trained with my strength staff there at sc who knew me well and i was you know i thought to myself i'm not going to get much stronger much faster in, in like a month so why not just keep doing what i've been doing here um and so that's what i did and then i tested well the combine and then the panthers called me so you did everything. Um, you're, you're, you weren't in a position at that point to say, okay, I'm not going to do this drill. I'm not going to do that drill. No, so I just, did I, did it, I did it all. And I also wonder if like, I had a looseness about me that I don't think I would have had if I was trying so hard and wanting so hard Good to impress um, that I think benefited me in the long, like when I look back on it and how some of the guys were in that environment, um, you know, it was kind of some of the, some of the mindset is so, uh, uh, NFL or bust that I just think it just keeps guys so uptight and, just and, puckered up and the, whole time. the whole time. And so I just, I didn't have any of that. I just, whatever was going to happen was going to happen. Um, uh, I did. The only time I was stressed though was, you know, they give you these cards, uh, of who you're, what teams you're going to meet with. It's mm-hmm. that whole, it's that whole like meat grinder of like them, like grilling just you. It's kind and, of the car wash going through. Yeah, yeah. And they like say the most, obscene things to you to just kind of see what kind of reaction you get. And obviously guys have gotten in trouble for some of the questions oh, yeah. they've asked. But, um, so they give you a bunch of cards. And I remember being in the hotel room, like stacking and like trying to, you know, be professional and like, I'm going to go to this time and then I'm going to take a nap here. So I'm well rested for this. So I had a roommate and, uh, we had a problem with our alarm clock and I, I said, Hey, do you mind waking me up in like 10 minutes? Oh, and he's no. like, yeah, no problem. And so I woke up, nobody was there. And I, I went sprinting down to my meeting. I was so late and I came in like sweaty and like my hair was a mess and I had like a minute left and they were like, well, we got a minute with you. I guess the only question we have time to ask you is if we draft you, is this what we can expect? You just show up whenever you want. And I was like, man, I feel so bad. And I remember going up to my room and I called my dad and I was like, well, I said, like, you can cross the Panthers off the list. They're not, they're <laughs> oh, not going to, yeah, it was the Panthers. I was like, they're not going to draft me pops. It's not happening. That's amazing. The one team that you, you basically missed yeah. the whole interview outside of the last I was in there with Marty Herney and Jeff Davidson and John Fox and they were just laughing at me. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Were there any kind of crazy questions from other teams that you remember? Um, no, I had uh, I had one team that kept asking me what I would bring to the team, and every time I'd answer, they kept asking it to me over and over again, like seeing if I was going to change my answer. That one was weird. Um, I remember the Steelers one. 
they had uh, they had like all the greats in there. I think it was Mike Tomlin's first year. It was like the most intimidating room I've ever been in. Like me and Joe Green was like in the back, and I was like, "What is happening?" Like right? multiple former like great multiple Steelers? former great Steelers were in there. It's like just a room full of Hall of Famers. Just Mike a Tomlin. room full of Hall of Famers, just staring at you with a big camera like this, just looking at you. <laughs> I was so stressed. Wow, it was intimidating. It was intimidating. I remember the Patriots put me through the grinder. They had me, they had me drop. They, all they wanted me to do was X's and O's. They didn't care about any of my personal stuff. They didn't care, you know. Uh, well, it's not like you had a, a rap sheet coming out of USC. There wasn't probably a whole lot they had to worry about. No, but it was, it was intimidating though. I mean, it was intimidating. They, they really, they wanted to know. I mean, I left that meeting with the Patriots thinking, I don't know anything about football. I thought I knew. I don't know anything. Because they, they had me drop my favorite plays. They would drop plays that they saw on film, asking me who was responsible for who. And I other was, positions, responsibilities other, in addition other positions to yours. Other responsibilities. He would like kind of grind me through the game plan. Was this Bill? No, it wasn't Bill. It wasn't Bill. Dante Skarnecchia? I want to say it was Rob Chudzinski, huh. who ended up being my offense coordinator later on. In Carolina. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. I'd never even connected that until this, until this, uh, until this interview. But I... I just remember being so intimidating during that whole session. And uh, it also motivated me too my first year because I, I remember that meeting and thinking like, I got to know, I got to know these things that they asked. So I, I actually, it was one of those few meetings that ended up being beneficial for me. Time for a quick timeout so we can tell you about a few of our sponsors. Let's start with Greens Plus. I love this stuff. A health food leader since 1989. They created the first ever green superfood powder and the first company to infuse that green superfood into a bar. Their bars, powders, taste great. Uh, I have them in my house right now. I use the superfood powder in smoothies. Uh, they have three or four different flavors of bars. My favorite is the uh, chocolate energy-based bar. You can find Greens Plus at Whole Foods or Amazon, or if you wanna save some cash, go to greensplus.com and you will get 20% off using the promo code HELI. As I said, my favorite is the chocolate protein bar, and I love the wild berry superfood powder. Check out Greens Plus at greensplus.com. At Vaco, the model is we invest in your career, so you are here for the duration of ours. That makes a lot of sense. Vaco is a premier talent and solutions firm that provides boutique-level service with global reach in areas of consulting, consultative project resources, executive search, permanent placement, and strategic staffing. How do I know anything about Vaco? Well, because one of my good buddies, Brian Waller, started this company in 2002, and I have watched it grow to serve over 40 markets across the globe. They have 1,000 employees, 5,000 consultants, and $750 million in revenue. Every time I read that, I tell myself, Brian Waller should be paying me more to read this commercial during the helipod. That's a lot of cash. They've done a lot right at Vaco. Uh, and if you are looking for anything in the fields of accounting, finance, technology, healthcare, IT operations, administration, or international managed services, Vaco can help you. You need to fill that C-suite position at your company, Vaco has you covered. Check them out, vaco.com, that's V-A-C-O.com for more info on how Vaco connects people to their dream jobs and helps leading companies find talent to grow their business. And finally, I want to tell you about True Niagen. 
Uh, started taking this product, uh, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. Wanted to invest in my long-term health, and I, and I think you should too. This is a new trend in the scientific community that surrounds the health of our cells. You want healthy cells, that's important. It helps you regenerate, rejuvenate from athletes to weekend warriors. We have something in our cells called NAD, which supports our energy and our body's ability to repair itself all the way down to the cell cellular level. It turns out that NAD declines as we age. It also declines when we overexercise, don't sleep enough, and when we're even exposed to a virus. That sounds like all of us probably right now. There's only one NAD booster that is backed by Nobel Prize winning scientists, 10 published human studies, and regulatory approval for safety, and that is True Niagen. Additionally, True Niagen is NSF certified for sport. Visit T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. That's TrueNiagen.com, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com to learn more. I think you will like it. And now back to the pod. Well, that takes me to, you get drafted by Carolina, second round. So pretty amazing that here's this guy that wasn't really going to pursue the NFL and you end up being a, a top 50 pick and you go to Carolina in the second round. Um, and when you get there, uh, the quarterback room was crazy. Like yeah. Vinny Testaverde was still there, um, Jake DeLome, mm -hmm. um, David Carr, uh, John Fox was, was the head coach at the time. Um, what do you remember about first reporting in, in your first days, months in Carolina? As soon as you get in the league, everybody goes out of their way to tell you how hard it is and how this ain't college and the NFL stands for not for long, so don't get too comfortable. Like It's just, it's so funny to me. I saw that every year. I, I always told myself I was never going to do that to a guy because it was already hard enough. So it wasn't just coaches, it was, it was older players. It was players, time. it was coaches, it was media, it was everybody. Uh, there's such a, uh, you know, there's such this like heightened uh, stigma that people put on the league before you even step foot or put on pads or anything. Um, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if it's just, it's just traditional. That's just something that guys feel that it happened to them. So now they got to like gotta pay it. Stripes. Yeah, you got to earn your stripes. I'm all about earning your stripes. I just think, I just think it's, it's, I think sometimes guys get too carried away with that stuff. And the thing like I always struggled with, and as I got older and had more of an ability to kind of tell guys to chill out and relax is, you know, you'd have guys who were drafted pretty high who'd come in and they're expected to start next to you. So it would behoove you to make sure that that guy is in the best form possible so right. that you can do your job so that your team can do well. And I always struggle with this idea of beating guys down before they ever step foot on the field because you need that guy to win. Like it, there's nobody else. It's that kid. That's the kid. That's the answer they have for that hole that we need to, we need to fill to, to play well. And so you're only as good as the guys you play next to, especially on the offensive line, especially on the offensive line. Um, I've gotten way too much blame and way too much credit for playing next to guys that are either really good or not so great. Right. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, high tides raise all ships. And so I, I would always get frustrated with guys that would kind of beat guys down and, and, and sort of deflate them before they ever even had a chance to 
But on the flip side of that, I can't stand kids that come in and act like they have all the answers. And so there's, there's a middle ground between the two. Um, but anyway, so I got there and uh, I had a little bit of that happen to me where it was like uh, there was an older room. Uh, one of the guys I was there to challenge for his position. So I got that sort of confrontation that we might have had. Uh, but he also came from the Tennessee Titans. And they had like Bruce Matthews there and all those guys. Old and, guard, yeah. And those guys were rough. I mean, those guys, those guys, those guys were rough on rookies. And so when that happens to you, one of two things happens. Either you carry on the tradition and you go, okay, I had to do all this crazy shit. So now I'm going to make sure somebody else has to. Or I'm not going to do that to these guys because I didn't like the way it affected my rookie season or I didn't like the way it affected them. So I was the latter. That's how I felt. But the guy, the guy who I came into the room with, his name is Justin Hartwig. He was he uh, he was in Tennessee, and then he signed a he signed a uh, he signed a really good contract with the Panthers. He'd gotten hurt, so they weren't really they didn't really need a center. But they Marty said his whole Marty Herney, the GM who's still there now, said his his mentality is best. Player, player available, yeah. not not best position, uh, or not position of need. And they so, all say that. I don't believe that they all actually do that. I, but they all. Say I that. agree with you. I agree with you. Although uh, I, I've had numerous uh, numerous scouts and coaches tell me that that was the case, right. and that there was coaches that didn't want me at that pick, and that you know they were vying for we need we have a need here, right. Um, and Marty, Marty. Well, I'm not saying true. that wasn't the case with Marty. I'm just saying every GM says that, and I, I just don't. Believe no, no, every I, I'm player. agreeing with you yeah. that I, for the longest time, I just thought that's something that they said yeah. to me to make me feel good or something. Right. I don't know, but, um, uh, but anyways, that ended up being the case. So I was there challenging this guy, um, and uh, what was that for? What was the first time? Did, did he give you the cold shoulder? Did he? I'm always curious about this because. These, no matter what room it is, whether it's the O-line room or the wide receiver room, you know, the quarterback room always gets the most attention, but mm -hmm. that can be really awkward when you're trying to, you're battling for the same job. You're, you can end somebody's career essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, it's more, it was, it was a lot of like, uh, you know, I don't really have anything to base on. I guess it, it's sort of like, uh, uh, I imagine like first getting in the military, like that you're just sort of a, you know, they, they want to make sure everybody knows that you got to earn your stripes and that you're starting at, at square one and you're not big man on campus anymore. Uh, so it's like the first, it's the awkward transition where like you, everybody makes you feel like you're part of the room. Now you're part of the club. You're, you're in the NFL, you're part of the family, but then you're not in on any of the jokes. You're not in on any of the conversations. Nobody's really trying to hang out with you. That's older than you, right. right? Other than other rookies. It just depends on what kind of room you come into. Every room's different. When I first got there, it was a ton of older guys. It was only like me and two other guys that were like the young guys in the room. And so you had guys that had kids, guys that were married a long time. Um, so there, naturally, there's not a ton in common to sure. begin with. So you kind of have your little clicks in that in that regards. But... Um, so it, it starts with the, like, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to be the fun, cool guy on campus. Like you were when you were a senior and, and purposefully nobody's, 
They're not laughing. They're at not your jokes. laughing at you. They're not. <laughs> they don't care if you chime in. In fact, if you do chime in, they're telling you shut the hell up. Right. So it's a lot of like rookies should be seen, not heard. And then it's like you know, it's like goofy jokes and pranks. It's it's a lot of like you get into the cafeteria and then you sit down and everybody stands up at the same time and leaves. You know, it's like a lot of that. Right. It's like a lot of that. Just mean, juvenile, just stupid juvenile, yeah. mean spirited stuff. And then it's it's tasks, it's it's responsibilities. It's your rookie. You have to do all these things. And that was the hardest part because it was already tiring. It was already hard. It was already all time consuming. And so to try to do that just normally, and then on top of it, have all these tasks that these guys... Like bringing of, cheeseburgers in for everybody? Like the food's one that everybody knows. Carrying everybody's pads and equipment in is another sure. one. But then there was like crazy ones where it was like you had to make sure that everybody had the same amount of tape uh, in their lockers, and it always had to be a new fresh roll or... Uh, um, like tape that they'd wrap around their ankles. Or, or like wrists, yeah. right? Um you had to, you know, make sure there was always a towel ready for every guy after they got out of the shower. It had to be folded nicely like you were staying at a, like a Ritz-Carlton and it had to be like folded in like a little triangle. You know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. The, oh the, yeah, I know exactly. They did like yeah. little nice toilet yeah. paper folds. Uh, so they'd and, get on if it wasn't folded just right. Yeah. We had a, uh, we had a fridge in the back that had to be stocked with specific kinds of drinks. And I, I'm not even talking about drinks you can get at the local grocery store. They were like limited edition, like uh, uh, only made so many quantities, and you could only get them like in this one town in South Carolina, which and you was like an hour order and a half. Amazon no, then? Oh, not then. Yeah, then you couldn't yeah. get anything online, so you had to drive. Hartwig, especially, he wanted grape soda. That was his thing. It was like a specific brand of grape soda, so I couldn't bring just any generic brand. So that was a pain in the ass, and that. I'll get to that. I'll get to how that bubbled over in a sec. And then it was like, you know, a lot of guys chew tobacco. So I had to get like certain kinds of chewing tobacco and everybody had a different flavor they liked. I had to get skull and it had to be minted skull. And then that was for wusses. This guy wanted uh, Copenhagen. And then it was like, I only want long cut. I can only do pouches. So I had like, I was like juggling all these I, I, I just can't imagine what these people thought when I come in requesting all this different tobacco. You're getting a whole roll, yeah. like several rolls of tobacco. Like, this guy's got a problem, man. He can't make up his mind, one. Um, and, then, uh, and then we had like, I had, and I was in charge of, for whatever reason, I was in charge of putting this thing on the wall um, uh, because this is what they did in Tennessee, apparently. There was like a whole list of fines that we had to put on the board. And probably 80% of the fines were geared towards rookies. And the rest of them were like for, for the rest of the room. And so it was like... Uh, are these just internal fines, player to player fines? These aren't like team fines. This is just O-line fines. Oh, just O-line. Okay. And these are... Yeah, this isn't like dress code violation gotcha. fines. Although we had our own version of that in the O-line room. And they were all geared towards rookies. So it was like being a disrespectful rookie. It was like... Um, I can't remember what the wording was, but it was like basically if they didn't like your wardrobe that you that could get, day you, that day you could get fined. Um, the most expensive fine was like five hundred dollars. It was it was like an all encompassing fine. It was just called the being a bitch fine. <laughs> so you could just literally just whatever you want, Dan, five hundred dollars being a bitch, and like I could just make it up. They could just assign it to you. Anytime. I could just assign it to you whenever I want. And then for the rest of the group, it was like jumping off sides in practice. Um, it was, uh, uh, you know, if you got caught, if you got caught uh, kissing up to like the head coach or something right. like that, 
They called it the BJ find. <laughs> and then if you got caught talking or kissing up to the owner, it was called the Royal BJ find. <laughs> <laughs> Those were expensive too. Uh, but anyway, so it was just like all this nonsense. I think I ended up paying like 6,500 bucks my rookie year and fines. Just in random fines. Which this all got shut down like four years later. Uh, after the whole Richie Incognito stuff right. in Miami, the league came down hard and said, we're done. Like, no, I know this has been going on for a long time and it's tried to, it tries to be fun and games, but, and I don't care. Like the league was like, we don't care if it's not mean spirited as it was here, but it's done. It's over with. So, which I was fine with. I never liked the fines anyways. I right. always thought they were dumb. Um, but there were instances later in my career where we just had rookies that I couldn't stand. And I was like, God, I wish there was a fine system right now. <laughs> this guy is just an absolute has no idea. He has no idea. He doesn't care about anybody in here. I wish there was a fine system. But then again, I think, well, that pr guy probably wouldn't even pay the fines anyways. Right. So, but so anyways, so this is the best part about the fines. So this is where it was fun, actually. So the fine system was set up to keep guys accountable and also to mess with rookies. But for the guys that weren't rookies, especially, uh, you could challenge a fine. So we had like a kangaroo court. Oh, this and is the, great. And the older guys were the judges. We had the four elders, we called them, and they were the four oldest guys in the room. But what would happen is, is if you decided, because there's a lot of like calling guys out to get fined. But let's say you fined me right. for something, and I didn't like the fine or I didn't agree with the fine. I could challenge your fine. And then you and I go to court and we plead our case. We can also have attorneys on our behalf so you can like recruit other guys on the team. Yo, so, they, so you could go outside the O-line room. You can room go outside the O-line room only for this one aspect of it. Okay. Um, that was risky though, because if you were going to get an attorney, it better be a guy everybody loves because otherwise your case is over with. So I challenge your fine. Now, if I win, you got to pay my fine. Oh. But if I lose for challenge, and after I challenge your fine, oh. I got to pay double okay. the fine. Rookies don't even bother because it doesn't matter. Even if you're, you're not in the win. wrong, you're not going to win. They're going to for sure make you double your fine. So like as a rookie, even though a lot of those were kind of bullshit fines, I was like, I'm not challenging. So it. you knew that right away. I knew that right away. It was told to me by some older guys that liked me, like, don't do it. There was one instance where, uh, <laughs> where we had... Uh, we had our punter, uh, Jason Baker, who, uh, who Dave knows, uh, but our punter, Jason Baker, uh, didn't like how, I'm trying to remember what happened. Okay. Yeah. yeah I remember now one of our offensive linemen, he, he was upset because he didn't rack his weights. Or he didn't think that he racked his weights properly or some, some BS. The punter like was mad at the O-lineman because the O-lineman didn't rack his weights. That okay. he didn't rack his weights. So I think from afar, and this is true for most specialists, you know, they kind of feel left out of these like of kind course, of really fun you, pockets. Yeah, anybody's been in the practice can see Especially that. the O-line, because the O-line has the most fun of any group. Right. But he, I think he was a little jealous of the fun we're having with the fine system. Uh, Non-rookies, I should say. Um, and so he thought it'd be fun to, to, to challenge one of the O-linemen. So he came in our room one day and he said, I'd like to find one of your guys. And I think he felt confident in it because he was an older guy. He'd played a long time. I think he was like in year eight or nine. Um, so he stated his case. 
And the offensive lineman was uh, Evan Mathis, and he was pissed. It was like, I think he was like in his third year. And he was like, no, 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 no. The punter's not going to come in here and find me. It's just not going to happen. I challenge his fine. And, uh, and so I, I, was, I was close with Evan, and we were talking about it in the cafeteria, and I go, I think you screwed up here. I was like, I think the guys, I think, I think the guys are going to side with him just to mess with you, out of spite of you. I was like, I think you need to go find somebody to represent you. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I think that's a bad idea. I was like, no, I think you should do it. And I was like, I think I know who you should hire. I think I, I think I know who will absolutely just step in the room and you'll win the case. You don't even have to plead anything. And, uh, and so we talked about it and he's like, that's a great idea. So we go in the room. It's a Friday. It's a Saturday morning. It's after our walkthrough, it's an away game. So it's before we're getting ready to leave, which made it even better. Cause we all had to dress up in suits and ties. Right. To so, go to court with so, the, with so the now, stuff on. So we have like two hours to kill before we have to get on the plane. And now it really looks like a legit courtroom <laughs> with everybody in suit and ties. And the guy we picked, who I'll tell you in a sec, he came prepared. He had a whole case. Like we just were like, hey, just come in here and just say some BS. And he took it so serious. And he spent the night before writing out no a whole way. case. It was amazing. And so we get in and we have this whole thing. And even the older guys don't know who's coming in to represent them. And, uh, and so they ask him, do you have any representation you'd like in this case? And he goes, yeah, I'd like to uh, invite my counsel, Vinny Testaverde. No, <laughs> so, that's amazing. So Vinny Testaverde comes in and he comes wearing like the most like Italian, like mobster movie, uh, suit that I've ever seen. It's like this, like silk, silver. It's amazing. It's oh like, it's God. a beautiful suit. I love Vinny Testaverde. He's one of my all time favorite teammates. And so his case was, he started, he, so he started, uh, he put, he put Jason Baker on the stand <laughs> and, uh, he started asking him these questions about, uh, his previous employment. And so he started making a list. He made a list of all the teams he had been on and, and none of us knew where he was going. And Jason ended up getting kind of upset about it. And he goes, you know what? I'll just pay the fine. I don't care. And he kind of took the whole, <laughs> he just kind of took the, the air out of the room. Sucked the fun out of the room. Kind of sucked, and so, so he had to write a check. He ended up leaving. And we were like, no, we want to hear it anyways, Vinny. Go ahead. And so Vinny's whole case was that, you know, uh, you've been on a few different teams. Maybe you misconstrued what the rules are of the Carolina Panthers weight room. Maybe what Mr. Mathis did was actually acceptable in this room and may not have been acceptable on a previous team. And, uh, and the guys were hooting and hollering. It was so funny. I mean, he went through the whole thing and like did a closing deal. And, oh. But uh, we never cashed that check and I still have it to this day. Do you really? Yeah, just had a well, spike How did he get Jason. so bent? Just because Vinny was, uh, you've been on this team, you've been on that team. Uh, it's a specialist thing. I think they like, you know. they <laughs> Punters? Punters. I mean, they're people too, but you know, they, uh, and I love Jason. Jason's, Jason's a great, great guy. He's That's a great amazing. guy, but he, I he, hope he hears this. I hope he does too. That's I awesome. hope he does too. So that was, that was 07 when you're a rookie. Uh, you know, you talk about Vinny Testaverde being there and that was the tail end of his career. I snapped him. I snapped Vinny's last snap. Did you really? At Tampa where it all started for him. So I mean, he, Vinny played until he was 42. Vinny, yeah. 
He, he played a long time. He played a long time. I'll I'll never forget. We went to uh, we went to play at Arizona, and uh, and Benny's eyesight was so bad. Uh, reading, reading eyesight right, right. was so bad that uh, you know he you know the quarterback wristband sure. that you have. Well, those things I don't know if you ever seen them up they're close. Tiny. Like they're tiny little. Yeah. Like the one Cam had uh, one year was like 400 plays on it. Jake had one. Right, just on your wrist. Just on your yeah. wrist, and then it opens up. It's like a it's like a lecture of right. like plays. I mean, there's so many of them. Vinny's maybe had like six plays on it. <laughs> Because <laughs> because the font, was, font so big. was so big, and even then he was still like kind of like <laughs> squinty eye, like trying to read it. Size uh, thirty six font for Vinny. Oh, uh, was awesome. But man, he went out there. Vinny was on a couch. He came to Carolina. He got a call to come to Carolina. He was practicing maybe a week or two, and went out and like shredded it in Arizona. I'll never forget how awesome that was. That's, shredded it. That what it you know and he had. You know, Jake DeLome, you had David Carr, who came there right after Houston, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, he was the number one pick and got sacked more than anybody in history. And what an interesting quarterback room that yeah. must have been. It was you know? awesome. Um, so you go, you, I, just, I was looking up some names on, on those offenses early on, you know, with D'Angelo and Steve Smith mm-hmm. and Musa and Muhammad. And your second year, you guys go 12-4. and four. You have a couple more years under John Fox. And then, then things changed. Then 2011... It's the Ron Rivera, Cam Newton era. Yeah. And how, how was that for you being a, a professional football player for the first time having a new head coach and an entire new staff coming in? Yeah. Um, it was exciting and challenging at the same time. You know, we, I was really excited about the Ron Rivera hire just because I've been a fan of his from the standpoint of his playing career, but also he was so well-respected around the league for his defenses. So I just... We, I was incredibly excited about what I thought he was going to bring to the team, and he didn't disappoint. I mean, he he was somebody who right out of the gate sort of commanded respect, but, like, just was – he just felt like one of the guys. Like, very rarely you get a coach who can do both of those things. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Like, typically it's either one or the other. That was a fun sort of environment to, to play in. That first year, though – uh, which I got to imagine Ron uh, has some reminiscence of right now with, with the pandemic was that was the lockout year. Oh, that's right. So we, we drafted cam. Um, I had just signed a long-term deal. That was my first deal, like long-term deal that I signed after my rookie contract. So I was set to be there for at least another five, six years. And then we had a whole new coaching staff. I didn't meet any of these guys. We, we talked to them on the phone a few times, but I was down here in Manhattan Beach. It was a long off season. Uh, I was also interning uh, uh, at Legendary Studios, oh, wow. which was awesome. So I was like, I don't even know if I want to go back. This is, <laughs> right. this is great. Uh, I, so saw, I, I saw that deal you signed. You were going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, uh, we hadn't met any, any of the coaching staff and, um, uh, and we showed up that first week of camp and like, there was like some weird rule where like some guys who just signed, um, couldn't practice for like two weeks. So like we traded for Greg Olson from Chicago and then he was freaking out cause he couldn't practice. And that guy's like a workhorse. He's like a workaholic when it comes to uh, football. And so like, he was like chomping at the bit to like start running through the plays. 
And then also too, like we, a lot of us were buying into the media hype that like Cam was going to struggle mentally because. Well, because he was a rookie. He was a rookie, but also too, because he was coming from Auburn and their playbook was pictures on the sidelines. Right. And like, how was he ever going to handle an offensive playbook? And Rob Chizinski was the offense coordinator and he came from, uh, uh, from the North Turner camp of, of offenses and, and, um, so it was uh, it was challenging, and I mean, regardless of Cam, like I was having a hard time with the playbook because the prior to that, it was it was a lot of like uh, play action. Uh, it was like a lot of run, a lot of play action, mm-hmm. and then every now and then we'd take shots, and that was the offense we were in before. West Coast offense very different, and then and then this offense was it was like a weird hybrid of like stuff Cam had done and stuff that they had done in um, New England and stuff they had done in San Diego um, uh, on top of, you know, guys like Coach John Matsko who were like, I'm going to put my own terms from when I was... Who was your with, O-line coach? Who was my O-line coach when I was with the Chiefs and when I was with the, the Rams and we went to the Super Bowl. So um, it, it was a lot of us all trying to kind of figure it all out. Uh, so there was a lot of growing pains there, but I just remember being so impressed with Cam right out the gate. Um, and he had such an incredible work ethic. He had such an incredible hunger to want to be good and, uh, uh, different personality from when he first got there to when he started having some success, still the same guy, but not as frequently I'm here in the building kind of, kind of, uh, personality. Um, and, and a lot of that came from just guys being wild by him, but he was so impressive. Uh, he, he also had a confidence about him that was for a rookie too. It's like, you want that at your quarterback, but also, um, it just, it was like a kind of confidence you don't see, uh, other than guys who've been in the league for a while. And so that was super impressive. And he did it, he did it in a way where it wasn't, it wasn't cocky either. It didn't turn people off. It didn't turn people off. Internally, it didn't. It right. turned people off externally. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny. Like, Cam, people forget this, but his rookie year, that year, 2011, you know, people people talk about Cam in, like, in the sort of running style quarterback uh, kind of conversations. Um, he threw for 4,000 yards. He, he broke all kinds of records. Uh, especially his rookie season. I mean, he broke he broke Peyton Manning records his rookie year doing it from the pocket. And so it's funny because I, I, and I think part of that comes from he has such an incredible highlight reel of yeah. all these kind of circus jumps and, and, and jukes and all this stuff he does. Um, you sort of, you, you lose track of what he can do with his arm and do from the pocket. Um, but, um, but yeah, we, that was a, that was a, we had a good offense. We, we were still trying to figure our stuff out defensively. And then when we got that figured out, we had some challenges offensively. So that season we didn't really, we had a hard time putting it all together. Yeah. Four, um, I think it was at six wins. Maybe yeah, I can't remember and that it came, it came together later, but we were in a lot of those games that we lost. We just couldn't, we didn't, we didn't know how to finish them yet. You let me go back to camp for a minute, because obviously that's huge him being in new England. When you first heard that your, your thought was, was what? Well, I was excited for him. I was relieved for him too. You know, he kind of there was like a moment where it felt like Rogers in the green room a right. little bit, right? Like what's taking so long? Like here? what's taking so long? And uh, the obvious reason is teams not being able to. You know, he's coming off an injury, 
So teams not be able to get in a room with him and see him. I mean, he could post all the videos he wants. Right. But like they want to poke. If I'm a team, I'm going, oh, yeah, of course you're going you're gonna, to. You're controlling you're this controlling content. This, it's this like content. your documentary. Right. So I get all that. And that was the frustrating thing for him. And every time I called him, he had, I mean, he had such a great attitude about it. But you could tell he was, he was, getting, he was itching to, to get back out. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I'm biased. So whatever I say is obviously going to be in, in favor of, of and backing him up. But I also think... In fairness to him, it'll there'll be some growing pains because one, he just got there. I can't imagine this is the most productive environment to learn a playbook and get to know your teammates right. and um, and then two or three. I just saw a handful of guys opt out of the season. That's got to be for the huge, Patriots. For the Patriots, yeah. that's got to be a huge blow for them. So, I mean, I'm rooting for him. I know he's gonna he's gonna put his best foot forward, but I just. Uh, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully Bill can can pull Rabbit out of the hat and and kind of get him some pieces to give him the confidence he needs. So we'll see, we'll see. The one thing I got from from doing a couple of your games when you're in Carolina with with Cam, and he was always when we would do those production meetings, and he would come in and sit down. And, you know, for, you know how that works. Fresh off the plane, mm-hmm. generally, it was usually you guys were on the road. I don't think I ever called a home game, but. You know, come in with the hat on, and Cam, Cam's just a different dude. He, but he would, he would, he was always courteous. He would always mm-hmm. answer your questions. But I just remember watching from afar. I always felt like when things are going great, you know, Cam must have been great to be around. But and, and I'm strictly talking about post game, yeah, right? Like, but when things weren't going great, he would just kind of pout. And I just wonder how that was taken in the building, like among guys, or did that not really affect anything? Uh, it, it affected stuff early on. And I think, and he was so, he was never stubborn about hearing anybody out. Never. Like he never, he never turned people off. He never was like, uh, I don't want to hear anything you have to tell me. He was always very respectful and he was always, he was always open. And sometimes too, like he'd, he'd reach out for it. Like what, what, like, how can we fix this? How can we? And so guys were, guys never had a problem approaching him. He was never somebody that you couldn't come talk to. And I always respect him for that. I think, you know, early on, he, he couldn't, it wasn't that he felt differently about it. It was that he couldn't understand uh, the amount of eyeballs that were on him. And I think for him too, his translation was like, I just, to, to sort of shake it off so quick and to sort of not kind of wear it, to him, and this is my own interpretation mm-hmm. of it, I think to him felt like somebody he was he would then be uh, he would then be projecting somebody who was okay with losing. And so our whole thing that we try to harp to him was that it's not that. It's that that you have to have a short memory and that the even though it's 16 games, it goes by like that. You can be in and out of it quick. You can turn things around or, or fall off quick in that you have to, you got to put it into perspective and it's okay to be upset, but then you got to, we got to move on quick because we got another game coming up. Um, and so that was, I, for me, I think, especially like one of his challenges early on was 
getting used to because he'd just come from that great season in Auburn. I mean, right. a lot of people don't realize like he didn't have a really long college career. No, it was essentially kind of one year at Auburn. So, yeah. and I get it. Like we we wanted to see, and so that was hard. Like anytime we lost, it was it was like a huge huge uh, blow. Um, and he didn't even have that at Auburn. I mean, they won all those games and won the national championship, and so it's harder in the league to win. It's just harder. And the, the faster you can sort of accept that, it doesn't mean that you have to be okay with it, but you just got to accept that it's hard to win. Um, and you got to be able to move on and have short memory and, and uh, correct the mistakes and then get to the next game. Uh, but he just, he was, uh, you know, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he yeah. had a hard time sort of uh, uh, compartmentalizing it a lot of times. So that that's my opinion. He got a lot better about that later on. Uh, I think the pinnacle of it was the Super Bowl. In his defense, I was in that room when they put us in the same room as the Broncos. We, we were only separated by, by a curtain. By a curtain, right. I remember And so that. he's sitting there trying to answer questions. I was getting pissed too. And none of them were about me while the guys over on the other side were talking about how Cam choked, how Cam... You could hear everything they were saying. I could hear everything they were saying. He's trying to listen to these questions and while also listening to them basically, no respect, tell everybody that he's a bum, this, that, and the other. So he got up and left. And then everybody said, oh, wow, I can't believe that. This guy has no class and... That stuff always bothered me. What I would should he have handled it differently? Yeah, like obviously in hindsight he looked at it and go, okay, yeah, I probably should have. Stuck but easier it out. said than done in the moment. But easier said than done in the moment. So I always got frustrated because a lot of people judge Cam based on these little, and I think it's true of anybody in society, but especially for him, I never met a guy who could piss so many people off just by smiling, <laughs> just by smiling, and that says a lot about people. Who, who sort of, you could sort of find that had an agenda against them or just for whatever reason, they just couldn't accept them or like them or what. But I always loved the guy and I'll defend him, not because he was my quarterback, but because, you know, I got to see him day in and day out behind the scenes. I got to know his heart. I got to know the, the man he was, the father he was. Um, he comes from a great family. His parents are amazing. I love his mother. She's an amazing human being. They were always really hard on him too, right? I mean, he had a great, great family dynamic. His dad was always was always hard on him. He was always very receptive of his pops. Um, uh, not hard on him always, but hard on him on the times where he, he felt, pushed him. where he felt like he could do better. Um, uh, and so, you know, he worked his tail off. He didn't care what people thought about him, but he cared about what his teammates thought. So I just thought, what more could he ask for? Yeah. Like a lot of his style is not my style, but who, that doesn't mean that's Would wrong. Would he have been fined in the offensive line room for some of those outfits uh, the last couple of years? Oh, yeah, but he wouldn't have paid any of them, which <laughs> I respect him even more. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys had that incredible season in 2015. Mm -hmm. 15 and 1, you get to the Super Bowl. What do you remember most about that, that run and that year? I, I remember how much fun we were having. I remember people getting upset that we were, it was almost like we were having too much fun, that we were too loose and we were going to get hit in the face. And so when we ended up losing in the Super Bowl, I know a lot of people were like, see, told you. And we had some people like that internally too. Just because of all the celebrations and Just stuff. because of all of it. It was like, uh, I, think, I think other teams too were getting upset that their players were like on social media vocally saying, look how much fun these guys are having. I wanted, uh, that, that's what we should be doing. 
you know, you had a lot of old school, sort of like old guard type people that were like, that's not how you do it. You just, it's just business face always. Um, Did that ever cross your mind? Though? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Only because that's just sort of like how it was like grilled into my head. But I also remember being at SC and having a ton of fun. And I remember missing that when I got to the pros. And so we, we had a lot of that there. And a lot of that was driven by Cam. Right. And the like celebrating afterwards and the Tennessee game where they got mad because he did the dab. I mean, Cam, I don't know if people remember, but the, Cam like started the dab. The dab was incredibly huge. Everybody was doing the dab. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't invent the dab. He was a but rapper he, from Atlanta, but yeah, he made but it famous. he made it famous. Yeah. All because the guy got pissed that he was celebrating after he scored. Um, and so, and then that ended up being our thing the rest of the year. But, uh, what about Super Bowl week? What about what you make that run through the playoffs and Super Bowl 50 with San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Um, what do you remember about that week? Uh, I remember guys complaining that we sort of got, uh, we got the scraps of all the choice stuff, time slots for the media, uh, practice facility, you know, Denver was, uh, practicing and at Stanford University. Where were you guys? I can't remember. I think we were at San Jose. San Jose State. Yeah. Okay. Um, were you staying down in Palo Alto? No. I can't remember. We were in San Jose You State. were in San yeah. Jose. Okay. We were in San Jose. So I, I remember being bothered by that. We had a lot of guys that were worried about too many things. And there was, the, some of that stuff was challenging. You know, obviously the, the, the charades of it all is hard, especially for a team that hadn't been there before that group, not the right. Panthers, but, um, uh, and that's always a challenge. Uh, you know, so you have guys who feel the need, like I got to go do all these things and it's like, let's just focus on this week and then we can go celebrate afterwards. Um, but I, I also remember there, I also remember there being a confidence, like nothing, like we were invincible and like, it wasn't gonna, you know, there was like a, there was like a positive nervous energy in the room but we just, we couldn't get out of it. And then when we got into it, it was too late. We had a couple drives during the game that uh, would have put us right back into it, but then we had a fumble. We had a, fumble. We had a couple long drives uh, followed by fumbles, uh, but we just couldn't get into our groove. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that game. I was there and um, actually on the sidelines pregame and just walking around and um, I, I went to Tennessee. I graduated the same year as Peyton, um, and I was rooting for him. But I, I just, I don't know. I, for some reason, I really liked your guys' squad that year, and I thought you were going to get it done. Well, and defensively, we did. Yeah, we did defensively. They they came to play, and uh, and we just could offensively. We couldn't we couldn't put it together. We had the one drive we scored, uh, and I thought after that we'd kind of got it out of the way, and and we just they were they were a good squad though, man. They were. They were a tough, especially that defense. They were a tough defense. You, you talk about walking off into the sunset for Peyton. And, you know, Peyton really didn't do a whole lot that game. He was surrounded by a lot <laughs> right. of really good players. Right. But he was, uh, he was able to go off and, um, you know, get a, second, get a second ring. Yeah. Um, yeah, but him still being there is a huge part of that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's a confidence you can breed with a guy like that who, even if he's not having his most productive day, still – you can keep a team alive that, oh, we're, we're, we'll do it. Like, we're, right. we, got, we got the general. Like, we'll do it. How, how much 
will it at all bother you that you didn't? And listen, you, you are going to go down as one of the, the great centers in NFL history. You, you, you've had seven out of your 13 seasons where you played 15 games or more, and you made five Pro Bowls out of those seven years. And um, I, the Hall of Fame, I think, has seven or eight centers in there. Is that it's, it's way early, and you, know, you haven't <laughs> you know, made anything official yet. Do you, will you think about that? That's the last kind of cherry on top of a career. Has that even crossed your mind that you're a potential no, Hall of Famer? No, listen, I, you know, I get to play longer than I ever thought I'd get to play. Um, uh, and set my family up doing, doing something that I've been doing since I was a kid. Um, you know, I, I, there's no doubt I'll miss the game. Like, there's no doubt about it. Um, uh, but the experiences and the memories, I mean, it's, it's the stuff that, that, you always hear guys talk about, and, and especially the locker room, it's the thing that they'll miss the most. I think that, I think the the memories I have on these different teams and the friendships I've created, some of them for a lifetime, uh, I, I, I couldn't be more grateful for. And, uh, and for me, that's enough.